Good morning. It is good, very good to see each one of you. Uh, if you're wondering, I-40 is closed this morning. Uh, I'll give you that traffic update. And uh, it is good through the detour to be here. If you're visiting with us this morning, thank you so much for being with us. It is an honor to have you with us. We're completing this morning a three-part series that we've done over uh, four weeks. And we're looking at good health, good spiritual health. And the scripture reading that's just been read, if you look back again at 3 John, the second verse, it's very interesting comparison there that I would like for you to think with me for just a moment about the what-if game. You see what John, writing to his dear friend Gaius, and what he says about him, he says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. What if this afternoon someone could say that prayer and at the amen that would happen to you? What if you were driving up to your house and you have your, your automobile and, and you see your house in sight there, you're approaching the driveway and, and you have a friend that says, Lord, please prosper them in all things just as their soul is. What's the condition of your soul? Would you like for your car to be in the condition of your soul? I wonder if there's anyone here that, that if someone prayed that prayer and the Lord immediately answered that, you'd be going up your driveway and a wheel would fall off. And smoke would come out of the engine and, and maybe cracks in the windshield. And all of a sudden your car that, that was fairly new becomes an old, dilapidated car. What if you looked at your house and that house that was a beautiful house all of a sudden has broken windows and boarded up doors and holes in the roof and vines growing over. And you say, wait a minute, what's happening here? And your friend comes up and says, don't you know? I just wanted you to prosper in all of your life like you are in your soul. What is the spiritual health that you experience? Isn't it awesome that Paul could write to Gaius and he is so sure of Gaius's spiritual health. He says, I want all things in your life to be just like you are spiritually. Or what if they prayed that for your health, your physical health? What if they prayed that prayer, Lord, I hope that their physical health is just like their soul. And immediately you fell to the ground. They rushed you to the hospital. What's wrong with him? What's wrong with him? It looks like they hadn't eaten in days. They're starving to death. They're dehydrated. They're going to die if we can't do something quick. What's the condition of our soul? What's the condition of our spiritual life? Friends, there are some absolutes. God gives us absolute truth. And if you'll notice in all three of these lessons, we've been looking at texts that deals with truth. Absolutes that must be a part of our life if we're to have the spiritual health that God wants us to have. We've looked at what it is to be a true worshiper. We've looked at what it is to be a true church. One that sees themselves as family. But today, I want us to look at more on an individual basis. What are some things that I must, have, I must have a proper relationship with these things if my life is to have a spiritual well-being about it? If you'll notice in those first four verses that have been read for us just a few minutes ago, look at those four verses again and notice how the word truth is in there four times. Now, let's read verse 3 and 4 now. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, 
Just as you walk in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And if you remember back in verse 1, when John was writing to guests, he said, whom I love in truth. So now, let's think about the ways that Gaius is approached in this letter as it pertains to truth because this man has something right about his spiritual being. And I want to have those things right about my spiritual being. And so we stop and we observe what is the relationship that he has with truth. First of all, he says to him that I love you in truth. Here is an outsider writing, correspondence arrives, I want to tell him how much I love him. How am I going to express that? Well, John, what is a great characteristic of your life? And John would say, I love the truth. What's a great characteristic in Gaius' life? He loves the truth. He loves him in truth. You know, there are times in the Scriptures where we understand that we can't love some people in truth. Now, we're to love all people. But we can't love all people in truth because not all people share the truth with us. 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, verse 33, we're told that evil companions corrupt good morals. In other words, the message is you stay away from some people. You can't love them in truth because they don't share the truth in their life. But yet on the other hand, Phoebe, here's a stranger going to a congregation, an outsider moving in, and what does Paul say? He's saying you accept her, you receive her, and you help her with whatever business she has. She's helped others and she's helped me at many times. What's the message there? Paul's writing to a church that stands on the truth And he's saying, here's someone else that I love in truth. You two are going to be a good mix for each other. You know, a few weeks ago, the Haley's left us. Jason and Tanya Haley left us. You know, I don't know a lot about the details about some of the congregations down in the Birmingham area, but I know this. If they find a church that stands on the truth, they're going to love the fact that the Haley's are there. Because they're people of truth. They live a life of truth. And so here... What's my spiritual condition? If someone loves the truth with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, can they love me in the truth? Or am I a contradiction to that truth? And notice, the reason Gaius could be loved is because he says that the truth was in him. That's powerful. Truth wasn't just on a shelf. wasn't just in a book. It was in him. And he was walking in the truth. Let's look at a few passages that would help us understand how we could have the truth in us. Look with you, if you will, to John, the 14th chapter and verse 6. You probably know this passage, and if not, this is a passage that we need to know about Jesus. Here is how Jesus identifies himself. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, as we think about Jesus saying, I am the truth, and we think about that we're supposed to live our life in the truth, it was a wait a minute. Truth is supposed to be in me, and I'm supposed to walk in the truth? Are you saying, God, that Christ is to be in me, and I am to walk in Christ? And God would say, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Look with me, if you will, to Galatians, the second chapter, and verse 20. Galatians, the second chapter, and verse 20. This is where Paul describes what his life has become. Notice verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now when he says he's crucified, he's talking about the sinful life. 
No longer it's the carnal nature driving his life. He's crucified. What, who do you crucify? Anything you want to put to death. And so he's taking that carnal nature and he's put it to death. And you say, okay, if you put to death the carnal nature, Paul, what is it that is alive in you? And he says, Christ is living in me. We've heard a lot in the last few years about what would Jesus do. Friends, that didn't just become popular in the last few years. That's been popular in the hearts of Christians for a few thousand years now because Christians always have to stop and let God, let Christ be their compass because Christ is dwelling in them. But not only Christ, but also His Word is dwelling with us. Let's go now to John 17 and 17. This short verse tells us something else about truth. Not only is Jesus truth, but He says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. So Christ's Word is truth. Where should that word be? Let's look at James 1 and 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Now you see, this is what Paul would say earlier about crucify the old man of sin. We're laying aside. We're repenting of those things. We do not want wickedness to rule our life anymore. We want Christ to rule our life. Well, if Christ is going to rule our life, we have to have Him in our life. But what else do we have in our life? Notice the rest of this verse and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. Some of you here have a pacemaker. Is that pacemaker in your hand? You take it home and lay it on a shelf, and whenever your heart starts to flutter a little bit, and out of rhythm a little bit, the lower chambers aren't in sync with the upper chambers, and you say, whoa, where did I lay that pacemaker? Let me run by the house, let me find it. You don't have time to do that, do you? There's a reason why they implant pacemakers, right? They need to be there. The lead's actually running into the heart. Spiritually. This is a simple point. But please, please, take this to heart and only you can answer it. Do you see the Word of God as something that lies on a shelf? Oh, I hope I remember where I put my Bible. Let's see. Last time I went to church on Sunday, uh, it's Wednesday. Where did I lay? Oh, yeah, that's right. It's in the back of the car. Is the truth just something that lays around the last place you laid it? Or is the truth, the Word of God, something that you continually study it and you implant it into your heart? your mind. Friends, the Word of God will not save a soul that's not willing to implant it. Notice here, the Word can save. In other words, the message is there to save, but it only saves those that have implanted it. It's those that are willing to take the truth and they're willing to have the truth in them, and they're willing to walk by the truth. That's who the children of God are. There's people, they are people that have a close relationship with truth. But notice secondly this morning, not only do we have to have a close relationship with truth, but if you look at verse 5 in our text, back to 3 John, in verse 5, every time we see the word beloved, he's making another point. And so when we see in verse 5, beloved, he's making a transition, and he's saying something else that tells us about a relationship that Gaius has. Gaius has a great relationship with the truth. 
but he also has a great relationship with fellow workers. As we're about to read this, it, it's not just real clear on the first reading, so let me tell you what to look for, and you see if you think this is what the text is teaching. And really, you have to read on even to the end to see the whole picture of this truth. There were some workers. Now, it doesn't tell us exactly what they were doing. Apparently, they were missionaries. Uh, they were people that were doing kingdom work, and they had traveled through. And apparently, Gaius really lended them a helping hand. But there was also some others, and one in verse 9, and that's Diotrephes. He wouldn't accept them, and he wouldn't lend them a hand. And so he's writing back to Gaius, and he loves Gaius because of his relationship with the truth, but also because of his relationship with fellow workers. Let's read this beginning in verse 5. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. These people had come through, and Gaius had helped them in some way, and when they went back to John, they stood and gave testimony. They testified for the fact, they said, let me tell you about a man that's back there. Wow, he really helped us out. Now notice this. He loves the church. Why do we help people out that are doing the work of the church? Because we love the church. Friends, something's wrong if the only missionary I want to support is somebody that I know real well. Well, this is my buddy so-and-so, and he works down in so-and-so, and we really love supporting him. You mean that if someone else was doing a great work in the church, you wouldn't love supporting them just because you don't know them personally? Here he says, brethren and strangers... He was willing to reach out to anyone that was doing the work of the church. And whatever he did, he did it in a way that was worthy to God. A way to realize that he was serving God. And I love that line back in verse 6 where he says, If you send them forward, do you have any actions in your life right now that is moving the work of the church forward? Now notice here at this particular writing, Gaius is not being commended in a, in a way to say, you know, you really led that ministry well. You know, you really led that mission work well. You know, you are a great missionary. Notice it's none of that. Why is he applauding Gaius here? Because you supported fellow workers. And in supporting fellow workers, you moved the work forward. How many times have we heard someone say, you know, I can't go on that, but I sure want to support it. I'll pray for you, I'll encourage you, and here's some money. That's exactly what Gaius apparently was doing. He was supporting those individuals and in their efforts and whatever it was. What's the motive behind that? Let's read verse 7 and 8. And he says, because they went forth for his name's sake. You see, that's... Why? Because they went forward in His, talking about God's name's sake. Number two, taking nothing from the Gentiles. Number three, we therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Why should we do what Gaius did? John says we ought to do what Gaius did so we too could become fellow workers for the truth. Why did he do it? He wanted to see Christ magnified. Why did he do it? He knew that if kingdom work is going to move forward, are you listening? If kingdom work is going to move forward, kingdom people move it forward. I didn't turn around to the heathens and say, listen, we're having a great mission trip. I know you're not a Christian, but will you support us on this mission trip? 
You look from cover to cover of the New Testament and you'll see that kingdom work is always done by individuals who are willing to give. Willing to give. Give of their life, give of their money, give of their energy, give of their heart. But third, he says, we ought to want to do it so that we can be fellow workers. Gaius, what's your relationship with workers in the kingdom? Say, we're close. I love encouraging workers in the kingdom. You know, Gaius, I bet you don't get nearly the amount of uh, the limelight, the attention that the missionaries get. Apparently, Gaius was satisfied with that because he was only in it for the cause of Christ. I want to mention to you the third point. And what he does in verse 9 and 10, and you'll see it there on the screen, he mentions a fellow named Diotrephes, and he loved to have the preeminence. And because of that, when travelers came through like those missionaries, he wouldn't help them. When people wanted to come into the church, he wouldn't let them come in. He'd cast them out, including the apostles like John. John doesn't spend a lot of time on that. Apparently, he's going to take care of that later. But notice as we go to the next slide and we read 11 and 12. I want to read 12 to you first. Look at verse 12. On the other hand, we have Demetrius. He has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. Isn't that interesting? That goes back up to what we studied earlier. He has a good testimony of all, but he even has a good testimony of the truth. And in other words, you could take the truth and lay it down beside the life of Demetrius and you'd say, that's one. He's living it. He's a mirror of it. But now notice this. When we go back to verse 11, of course, sandwiched between 9 and 10 and 12. 9 and 10 is the wicked example. 12 is the good example. And he says to Gaius, Beloved, see this transition again? Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Gaius, there's going to be some people about you in the church. They're going to do some bad things. They're going to hurt you. They're going to hurt the work of the church. On the other hand, Gaius, there's some good people in the church. There's some people that you could lay down the truth and you could lay down their life and they're very, very similar. Gaius, imitate the good because the good is of God. Brethren, good spiritual health comes about from those that wake up every day to imitate the good. Oh, preacher, I want some kind of mushy feeling. I want to just wake up in the morning and feel close to God. I want to go through the day and just feel God's presence. You know, I've never figured out a way to command emotion or to make myself feel a certain way. But I have noticed this. When I do the right thing over and over and I imitate the right thing over and over, I feel real close to God. Because a lot of the time to do the right thing takes sacrifice. It takes commitment. 
And then after it's done, we see the reward of God and we know that He was involved in it all. This morning, for good spiritual health, we have to have a close relationship with truth. We need to have a close relationship with kingdom workers. We need to have a good relationship with good. Where are you? Right now, if your physical health became an imitation of your spiritual health, would you fall out? Or would you be stronger physically than you have ever been in your life? If a man gained the whole world and lost his own soul, what would he prosper? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? Friends, our soul is worth more than our possessions. It's worth more than than our physical being. And so if this morning I can honestly say, I wouldn't change that for anything. I would never let my physical life be a mirror of my soul. I've got a lot more problems than just a fear of bad physical health. This morning, let's give our all to God. Let's not hold back. Let's imitate Christ in everything. Let's become His. And definitely the reward will be ours. If you've never been baptized in Christ for the remission of sins, won't you do that this morning? Imitate Christ. If you have been baptized but yet you've fallen away, won't you come back this morning confessing sin? Let's pray forgiveness. Let's all leave here in great spiritual health. If we can help you come as we stand as we sing.